Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 2nd of November 2014, entitled, As for Me and My House. And the Bible reading is taken from Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 to 22. Here's brother Craig Halstead. Excuse me this morning if I cough repeatedly. Um, I, um, I lived overseas for a number of years with my wife in, in Korea. Uh, my wife has just taken our baby um, to the creche. And uh, in Korea, you, tend, you get very dry and arctic winters, very cold, dry winters, and hot and humid summers. You don't get the combination of cold and damp <laughs> like we get here. So my, my wife and I, my family and I, we lived there for a number of years, from 2006 to 2012. And I got used to the hot and humid summers. It reaches about 36 in the summer. So from uh, early May until really mid-October, it's either warm or hot. And then in the winter, it can get down to about minus 17. Um, but it's very dry. And so people tend to humidify their homes. They'll buy these electric humidifiers, just like a kettle effect, if you will, that steam the room. Or if they can't afford them, then they'll fill large bottles, pop bottles, and cut the tops off them and leave them like that on the floor during the night to hydrate the room because it's so dry. So since we came back to the UK, I'm, I'm originally, of course, from the UK, since we returned... Um, my chest has struggled getting used to the cold damp. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, with regard to <coughs> what Brother Curtis said about myself and sort of my journey over the last number of years, the last time I came here to, uh, to King, um, King Standing, to, uh, to this particular church, this is King Standing, isn't it? Would I? Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Last time I came here to this neck of the woods, shall I say, um, was right. Okay, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a number of years. I was here in 2002, uh, as Pastor Curtis said. The Lord led me to the country of India, and uh, I passed through this way 2002 and preached and shared my burden for that country, uh, the spiritual need of that nation. And then in early 2003, I travelled over there. At that particular time, I was um, single and skinny um, a long time ago. In fact, my, I, my mother showed me just the other day a picture of myself when I was 30. And I thought, goodness me, does he look skinny and gaunt? I had a 32-inch waist and a 38-inch chest. Long ago now. Um, but anyways, um, I then went to India in 2003 and was there for six months, serving as a missionary in that land. Just very briefly, um, India is a, a nation of great need. There are, I think, around 1.1 or close to 1.2 billion people there now. Um, just in the city of New Delhi alone, there are something around, some, somewhere around 21 million people. Now, there are only 4 million people in Scotland. There are only 28 million people in Canada. So 21 million people in one city. And Bombay, or as it's now called, Mumbai, is the same. Bangalore is the same. Hyderabad, all the main cities of India are just crowded with an incredible number of people. And India is a nation of 30 million gods. There is a god for anything and everything over there. 
And so the need in that nation is, is great. They need to, these people need to know who the Lord really is. They worship wood, they worship stone, they worship gold, they worship vehicles. Um, they worship anything and everything. And it is a, a, a nation that is um, in spiritual darkness. Because they embrace Hinduism, the nation of India is, uh, I think, around 85% Hindu. So that is around 900 million people that are Hindus. Muslims are, account for about 150 million people. They're in an extreme minority. That's how great the nation is in terms of population. And the nation is in gross spiritual darkness. Witchcraft is rife because they embrace paganism. And it is a, it is a nation that is in tremendous need. But as Pastor Curtis said, owing to visa difficulties, um, I wasn't able to stay there. I, could, I, I spent six months there, was on a short-term visa and returned and intended to go back on what was called a five-year visa, a multiple entry visa, which would have meant that during the five years, every six months, I would have had to have left the country for a few days and have gone back in. Uh, but the, um, the Indian authorities would not give me such a visa. They said it was only for people of Indian origin. But that was, that was a number of years ago now. I don't know whether they've changed it. I haven't looked. So I was considering getting another tourist visa to go back in, which would have been, it would have been restrictive. Um, and after counsel and after prayer, I decided that it was just best to leave it alone. And that was the Lord's will too, because within about two months, I uh, met my wife. Well, I say I met my wife. We'd known each other for a number of years. Um, and basically a year after returning from India, I was married uh, to my wife, uh, Gayung is her, her name, Gayung. Um, and uh, she is from South Korea, Seoul, South Korea, the main capital city. Her and I had met in Bible college in the late 90s. Two years after we were married, we were praying and asking God for direction in our lives, and we decided to move to South Korea. And we moved over there, and that was as India was a, a totally different world, um, a lot of poverty. I then moved to South Korea, where companies like LG, Hyundai, and Samsung are from. And um, that was another different world as well, a vastly different culture, uh, a completely different world. And the community that I lived in when I first arrived there, I was Johnny Foreigner. I mean, you know, I was Moses in Midian. I, I would walk around my community and it would be, as I was learning a little bit of the language and understanding more than what I spoke, I would walk down the street and there would be, you know, a Korean girl, little girl with her, with her mom, a Korean little boy with his mom. And they, as I walked past, they'd go, mom, mom, foreigner, it's a foreigner. You know, they, they perhaps they had never seen a foreigner in the flesh. Although more foreigners were coming in. And uh, while I was there, I taught English. I spent three years teaching in a primary or elementary school. And then I had two years teaching at a university, teaching in the field of what is called EFL or ESL or TFEL, teaching English as a foreign language. And God blessed mightily. It was during that time we had our uh, second son over there. And then after five and a half years of there, of eating hot spicy food and living in hot conditions and being in the Orient and being far away from home. Um, I remember in 2011, do you remember, can I ask you a question, 2011, what happened in this country that was all over the news that was quite terrible? Yeah, it was the riots that started off, you remember, when the, uh, the, furniture, the huge furniture store in London was torched 
burnt down and the whole thing escalated to different cities. And I remember watching this on the news in Korea thinking, what's happening to my country? Because, you know, when you, see, when you watch the news about a country, you know, you get sort of a false impression of what's really going on. I remember um, growing up as a child and hearing about the, uh, the activities of the IRA in Northern Ireland in, in the 80s and 90s. And I had the image of, as a kid that on every street corner in every town, there were IRA terrorists blowing everybody up. But of course, that wasn't the truth. Although there they were IRA uh, paramilitaries and whatnot over there. But um, the Lord took us to Korea and um, we were there for five and a half years. And it was, a, it was a tremendous experience. But in 2011, when I saw the riots in London, when I saw all that trouble, when I saw, you know, youths and young men in their 20s with their hoods up, turning cars upside down, setting them on fire, attacking people. I remember seeing a video of somebody in a flat with a camcorder looking down on the street. Below them was an electronics store. And youths with hoods on were carrying out LED TVs and anything they could and legging it down the street with this stuff. And it was just a free-for-all. And I remember thinking to my, I said to my wife, I said, I'm, not, I'm never going back to England. What a doomed, God-forsaken place it is. And that was in the August of 2011. But as we sought the Lord and as we um, felt that our time in Korea was drawing to a close, we sensed that God would have us return to the UK to serve him here. Because there has never been a greater need in this country than what there is now. Once upon a time in this country, this country was well known for its stand for this book. He realized that the, the school system that we have in this country was originally started by churches from 400 years ago or thereabouts. That's how it was started. The very laws that we have in parliament at the very fabric of our society come from this book. You trace the laws of this country that go back so, so far, so long ago, and they have their inception in the Bible. But of course, society has changed drastically and embraced humanism and secularism and all kinds of ideologies and philosophies that we now see, and this country has turned its back upon the Lord. And we often hear, hear from the prog progressive politicians that things are moving on. Really? Things are progressing. Things are moving on. Well, I beg to differ. We're not seeing a crisis in this nation of ours today, my friends. What we're seeing is national decline. And it all stems from the, a country, this nation of ours, that's turned its back on God. It says in the book of Proverbs, the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. It also says in Psalms, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. And these things, are, these things are very relevant. These, these verses of scripture that I've just cited are very relevant to our nation today. This is a nation in great need, a nation in great need. Let me just say this before we open the scriptures. For such a long time, I have been in church services and I have been hearing people say, Christian people, say openly and pray publicly. Well, we thank God for our Christian freedoms. 
We thank God for our Christian freedoms. We thank God we live in a nation where we can openly preach the gospel, openly and freely assemble together and worship and do things of this nature. We don't have to worry about soldiers walking in here or the police walking in here and saying, enough. And that does happen in many countries today. They don't have, as well as not having the freedom of speech and freedom of press, the press, they don't have the freedom of assembly. A lot of nations in, in, our, in our world where if more than, say, about 10 people are assembled together, the government and the authorities and the police look upon that as uh, sedition, as subversive, as dangerous. And so it's, it's dispersed. But please keep in mind that the freedoms that we have enjoyed in this land of ours for so long are slowly coming to an end. And there will come a time that if you're a Christian, and that time is not far away now, if you're a Christian, you're going to pay a price for it. You look in the Word of God and you see that in the book of Acts, where Christian people were put to the sword for their faith, where Christian people were hounded and harassed. In this nation of ours not so long ago, well, a few centuries ago, but in this nation of ours, there were great men of God. One particular man named William Tyndale, who was very much a part, who, had very, who was very key and integral to the translation of the Scriptures from Greek and Hebrew and Latin into English so that the ordinary man could read them. And he was only a young man, Tyndale. But for what he did, the established church, the Catholic church got a hold of him and burnt him at the stake for having the audacity to translate the scriptures into English for the ordinary man. He put his life on the line and he died to ensure that we have a Bible in English today. Well, things have come full circle now and we see groups, minority groups in this land of ours that are bringing pressure to bear, that no longer like this book being preached and use terms like homophobic. That's what they say of this book. You know, just the other day, a good friend of mine told me, I don't know where he saw this, whether it was in a newspaper or on the internet, but he said, he told me, he said this headline read, Evangelical Christians are enemies of the gay movement. That's what the headline read. So you and I need to keep in mind, my friends, that the days of freedom may be coming to an end. But you know what, in spite of these things, Romans 8.31 says the following, If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we know you. We that have come to that place in our lives where we have seen ourselves in the light of your word, where we've looked in that spiritual mirror and seen that we are sinners before a holy God and realize, dear Father, that the only answer to this is in the person of Jesus Christ who died and was crucified on a cross to pay the punishment and penalty for our sin. We read in Scripture, Father, for by grace are you saved, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No man by his own good deeds and moral acts can make himself right with you. When we stand before you, Lord, our, our good deeds will not be weighed against our bad deeds on a spiritual scale. 
That is not how you work, as you have shown us in the word. But the only way man can be made right with God is through Christ, through accepting by faith the finished work of Christ on the cross. Oh, Father, help us this morning to realize that we have a message to take to this land, a message to share with our community, that there is hope, there is an answer. Lord, the clouds might be gathering on the horizon in this land. There are certainly enemies within. This nation is filled with people and groups and organizations that are anti-God, who hate the Bible, who hate the Christian message. But Lord, you are with us, and we are on the winning side. Father, help us this morning, Father, as we gather together, as we meet, as we assemble here, to realize indeed, if God be for us, who can be against us? Lord, will you bless this time? These people are not here to listen to me. They're here to listen to you. Father, I pray that the spirits of God would truly wrestle hearts. Perhaps there are some who are inclined to be distracted by other things on their minds, distracted by other people in this church, or whatever the case may be. Maybe some gathered here whose hearts are resistant to you. Lord, I pray that the spirits of God would deal with each and every one and, real, and help them to see that Christ is the answer to their lives. In his name we ask. Amen. Turn, if you would, please, to Joshua chapter 24. The book of Joshua in the Old Testament, chapter 24. Now, correct me if I'm wrong for those who are a part of this church. Is the church 83 years old? Is that the, the, the correct birthday? Pastor Curtis has been here 24 years. Am I right? Okay. So a lot of time has passed. A lot of years have elapsed. A lot of water has gone under the bridge for Bethel Free Baptist Church. And I remember being here 12 years ago, as I mentioned before. And I do... I can remember one or two faces, but many are, are new. But you know, as we consider these years that have passed, 83 years ago, none of us were here. And this country of ours was a lot different than it is now. But God is faithful. And you know, the scripture tells us, as we consider this, this morning, this anniversary service, and all the years that this church has been here, and all the troubles and trials and difficulties and setbacks that it's experienced. As we consider so many things this morning, again, as we consider all the water that has passed under the bridge, you know, the scripture tells us with regards to the past, the apostle Paul said in Philippians, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to those things which are before. That doesn't necessarily mean that we forget the past like it never happened because not all that happens in the past is necessarily negative. There are many things that we can reference in the past, many things that we can look back on and say, you know what? God's hand was, in, was working. God was there for me. God answered prayer. God got the glory. God got the victory. Satan didn't. But you know, there's a future that you and I are yet to realize and experience. Charles Adam Spurgeon, that famous preacher from the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, who preached in this country in the Victorian era some 150 years ago, made the statement, your past may be blemished, but your future is spotless. 
And certainly that's how it is with God. Now let's look at the book of Joshua, chapter 24. And we'll see how certain things that occurred in this particular chapter, certain statements that were made by the children of Israel and by Joshua himself, we'll see how relevant they are to our meeting today in light of this church anniversary service. Joshua chapter 24, let's begin reading in verse 1. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel together, of Israel to Shechem, sorry, and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their tribes and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Now, very quickly, if you look at the story here in the book of Joshua, if you look at this book and this chapter in the context of the Old Testament, you remember how Israel had been some 400 or 430 years in Egypt as slaves. They'd gone down there. It was, of course, you remember the story of Joseph? We don't need to go into that. How he had gone down there into Egypt and he had become the second in command in that land. And some years later, when a drought came, a great famine came to the land that wasn't just in Egypt, but that spread throughout the land up to Canaan. Joshua's family, sorry, Joseph's family up there were also affected. And the only answer for them in light of this famine was to go down to Egypt because they'd heard that there was plenty of grain. Little did they know that, Josh, uh, that uh, Joseph, their brother, who they had sold to slavery, who they had thrown in a pit and sold to Egyptian traders, little did they know that he was a prince, that he was the prime minister effectively in the land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. The only thing that distinguished Joseph from Pharaoh was the throne itself. Now they went down there, you remember, and they bowed themselves before Joseph in fulfillment of his dreams. And of course, we remember the story how eventually Joseph revealed himself to them. And they apologized profusely, were greatly sorry. But Joseph said to them, you meant it, what you did for me in betraying me and selling me into slavery and selling me to the Egyptian uh, traders and, uh, uh, and, and sending me down here effectively. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And the story goes on where then they went back home to Jacob, their father, and the rest of the tribe. And Joseph said, bring my whole family down here. And it was from there then that when they came down into Egypt that they multiplied in number greatly. And Joseph then passed on. And the Pharaoh that knew Joseph, who had this rapport obviously with Joseph, he passed on as well. And scripture says in Exodus that there arose another Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Ominous for the Israelites. And this new Pharaoh who came along saw Israel as a danger this thriving immigrant community in the nation of Egypt, these Hebrews, he saw them as a danger. And so then he introduced a policy of slavery and he oppressed them. 430 years they were in this land and we remember the story of how God raised Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. They then passed on out of Egypt and then came up against the Red Sea, we remember the story of how God supernaturally and marvelously parted the waters. The Israelites went through safely some 
Scholars estimate somewhere between a million and three million people by the power and hand of God. The Egyptians then followed, and we know the story of what happened there. God brought the waters back together, and they all perished and drowned, every one of them. The Israelites then passed on into the wilderness where they were traveling, wandering around in circles for 30 years. That's rather 40 years. They then came to the Jordan River. But before they could cross the Jordan River and go over into Canaan, the Lord took Moses. Moses' life came to an end and Joshua replaced him. They then passed over the Jordan River and entered into Canaan where they where they encountered various nations, enemies of Israel, nations that were devil worshippers, idol worshippers, who, it has to be said, practiced the most heinous acts, sacrificing their children to pagan gods and all kinds of things. And the Israelites conquered, conquered most of these nations by the power and hand of God. Then, the scripture tells us that Joshua, his life comes to an end. And here we read about it in Joshua chapter 24. Let's look again at verse 1. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. This was Mesopotamia, or what is considered today southern Iraq. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. By the way, when it talks about the flood, it's speaking about the other side of the Jordan River. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and he brought the sea upon them and covered them and your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt and you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. This is just, of course, repeating what I've, I've just said. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side, Jordan. And they fought with you and I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land and I destroyed them from before you. Verse 9. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with the sword nor with the bow. Now the hornet was, was, speaks of those occasions when Israel would be encountered by enemies and they would fight against them and the Lord would instill and put a fear into their enemies and they would end up killing one another. 
You'll read stories about this in the, the Old Testament. Verse 13, and I gave you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not, and you dwell in them. Of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted not, you do eat. Verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you whom this day you will serve, whether the gods of your, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people, verse 16, answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, it is he that brought us up out and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, among whom all the people, uh, sorry, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a, je for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions, nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do your hurt and consume you after you have done after he have done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, You're witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you and incline your hearts unto the Lord God of Israel. Unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. He did this to commemorate, to signify what these Israelites had agreed to, to show what they had covenanted with God. Verse 27, And Joshua said unto the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us, and it shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. Joshua is at the end of his life. As Moses, his predecessor, came to the end of his life, and passed the reins to Joshua. Now Joshua has come to the end of his life. And of course he can look back upon his life. And he could, he could look back upon his life. And see the mighty power and acts and faithfulness of God. As well as the sin of Israel. And the rebellion of Israel. And the hard heartedness of Israel. Nonetheless he could look back and reflect. And look through the years and see. How God had been faithful to Israel. And given them great victories. He had seen the supernatural acts of God. The very power and presence of God. And now he comes to that place and point in his life where he's coming to the end. And he lets the Israelites know that they have a choice and a decision to make. And I want to ask you this morning, as we consider this chapter, and as we consider the 83 years that have passed at this church, 
in the 24 years that your pastor has been here, when we consider again the years that have gone by and the water that has flowed under that bridge, or perhaps you can consider from your personal point of view the time that you have known God, whether it's just a few short years, a few short months or weeks, or maybe you can look back through the decades, whatever the case may be. I want to ask you, have you ever embarked upon a journey and then after a while wondered if you were going in the right direction? Maybe you were in a car or perhaps traveling on foot. You looked up with hesitation because the way ahead seemed uncertain. You were tempted to turn back because everything around you seemed unfamiliar. Maybe you decided that the safer option was to do a U-turn instead of carrying on. Perhaps you look behind to clarify the situation. This is how it can often be when you're living for God. I want us to see this morning, first of all, as we consider uh, the book of Joshua and this particular chapter, Joshua chapter 24. And this is basically Joshua's farewell address at Shechem to the Israelites. First, I want us to see, we're going to consider this morning service to the Lord. What we do for God, serving the Lord. The years, 83 years may have passed. And there are many memories that I'm sure that you would reflect upon. You would see the trials and the tribulations, the setbacks, the difficulties, but the great blessings and faithfulness of God through the years. The people that have been saved, the people that have been baptized, the lives that have been changed for God. Those people whose lives were, were, were in bondage to the devil. You know, the Bible says that before you come to know God, the devil controls you. There was a time in my life when the devil controlled me, when he had me in his grip, but only by the power and presence of God was that changed, and the Lord delivered me and made me one of his own, made me a child of God. I want you to know when I was a younger man, before I became saved, before I came to know Christ at 21, if there was a rebel... It was me. I knew better than reading the Bible. And the message of Christ and the idea of going to church was for me a nonsense. But there came a day in my life when I was confronted with what the Word of God said about life and about death, about heaven and about hell, about birth and about the judgment seat of God. And I realized that Christians weren't the fools that the word of God wasn't nonsense, but that I myself was a fool and that I didn't know better. But we consider here in Joshua chapter 24, we consider Joshua's farewell address to these Israelites. And we see certain things that we can apply to our own lives, certain things that we can deduce from this chapter of scripture that are relevant to each and every one of us. First thing I want us to see here with regard to serving the Lord. Serving the Lord is preconditional. Or you might say serving the Lord is exclusive. Let us look at verse 14. Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve you the Lord. Verse 19. And Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Verse 20, if 
You forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. Then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he hath done you good. You see, you and I cannot live for God and please him. You cannot live for God and please him with your life and live for yourself at the same time and do as you please. You cannot live as you want and honor God. It just doesn't work. Being saved doesn't permit you and I to live as we want to. Now, I say that because nowadays I am meeting lots of people or I'm hearing through Christian friends that they have met people who have the mindset that when you come to know God, you become a child of God, your sins are forgiven, you know you're on your way to heaven, you belong to the Lord, nothing will change that. That somehow licenses you to live as you want, to live a life of sin, to please yourself. But the word of God doesn't teach any such things. No, this is a lie from the devil. The word of God does not teach any such thing. Quite the contrary, as we will see. Joshua told his people that God would never tolerate pagan gods. You see, with regard to this particular chapter, the Israelites had come from a pagan nation, as in Egypt. Of course, Israel started before the nation that they were in the nation of Egypt. But the, the, the Egyptians were ranked pagans. They were ranked pagans. And after they were delivered by God out of Egypt into the wilderness, and then they came to the Jordan River and then went into Canaan, they embarked upon different nations. They're mentioned there. If you look at verse 11, the Perizzites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and so forth. These were pagan nations that worshiped false gods. And the Israelites, to a point, had been influenced by this. God had told them to wipe these nations out, and they hadn't. And they'd been influenced to a, to, to a, to a large degree by these nations. You know, when I was in India in 2003, all of a sudden the scriptures of the Old Testament with regard to things like this became alive. When I saw Hindu temples everywhere, there were more Hindu temples, and certainly there are pubs in this land. Idols for everything. You couldn't escape them, whether you were in a countryside, you were in the village, you were in a town, you were in a small neighborhood. Idols, images, the most grotesque looking things everywhere to the point that you would be so, that the society was so pervasive with this stuff that after a while you felt the oppression. It didn't make you feel, feel good being around this stuff. It was oppressive. And these nations that Joshua speaks of here that surrounded Israel were nations that embraced idol worship, gods of wood and stone and all manner of evil. And Joshua says unto them, if you want to serve the Lord, then you can't have these little gods in your life. You can't worship these other gods. The Lord God, he's a jealous God. He made you, he created you, you're his people and he will not tolerate these things in your lives. Now for you and I in the Western world in the 21st century, we consider this as an ancient civilization. You and I don't, I don't have any idols in my house. There's no, there's no Buddha. There are no Hindu gods. There's nothing, there's no, there's no image or idol in my living room and I'm sure there isn't in yours. But the scripture says something very, very interesting that relates to this, that applies to you and I. Turn, if you would, to Colossians in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. If you would look there. It says, the Apostle Paul writes in and he says the following, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is what? 
Would you say Britain is a covetous nation? I think we all know the answer to that, don't we? And God equates covetousness to idolatry. Now, why is that? Why does the Lord in his word tell us that covetousness is tantamount to idolatry? Because it's like this. Anything that comes into your life that becomes a barrier between you and God, anything that comes into your life that keeps you from God, that pulls you away from God, something that you cherish, something that you like, something that you enjoy, it could be a something or a somebody or a place. Anything that comes into your life that keeps you from God, that consumes your mind or maybe your finances or your time and your attention more than God, my friend, that's become an idol. It could be a man, it could be a woman, it could be a relationship, it could be a possession, it could be a place, it could be a pleasure of some sort. The scripture says covetousness is idolatry. Is there something in your life, my friend? Is there something in your life that is preventing you from God having his will and way in your life? The Lord says you cannot serve Lord and strange gods. That's what he said to the Israelites. And my friend, that thing that has come into your life or maybe in your life right now that is keeping you from God, that's preventing you making the decision to live for the Lord or to be even saved and to become one of his. That thing in your life that's keeping you, that is a strange God. It is an idol. The Israelites were commanded to put away false gods and so are you and I. Scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Christ said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and, all, and his righteousness, he said, and all these things shall be added unto you. All those things were, were, were in reference to material possessions. Service to the Lord is preconditional. It's exclusive. The Lord wants to be exclusive in your life. He wants to be your God. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to serve him. He wants to be your father and no other. He is a jealous God. If you're going to have other things in your life and say, okay, Lord, well, I'll serve you, but this as well. The Lord doesn't work that way. He alone wants to be the Lord and Savior of our lives, the God of our lives, our master and our friend. And he will have nothing else in our lives that keeps us from him. Secondly, let's move on. Service to the Lord is to be proven or demonstrated. Look at verse 21. In response to Joshua, the people said in verse 21, and the people said unto Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to him, you cannot have these strange gods, these little idols that you like to keep, that you've, that you've acquired from these other countries who've influenced you. Joshua says you can't have it. You can't serve the Lord and have these idols in your life as well. The people said, nay, but we will serve the Lord. Verse 22, and Joshua said unto the people, your witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Joshua says, now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your hearts unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. And Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. The Israelites professed with their mouths that they would serve and obey the Lord. That's what they said. It was their choice. It was their decision. 
With their mouths, they give a witness of a covenant with God. You know something? When you get married, you make a covenant with someone else. A covenant that you will be faithful to that person in sickness and in health, in the good times and the bad, whatever the case may be, you make a covenant with that person. A covenant before God. Marriage was instituted by God, not the government. And the Israelites, they made a covenant here with their mouths. We said, we will serve the Lord. We will not pursue strange gods. We will not rebel against him. We will not sin against him, but we will serve the Lord and we will follow him with their mouths. However, their good intentions, unfortunately, were short-lived. Paul said to the Galatians, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should obey not the truth? You see, many make a profession of faith in Christ, and that's as far as it goes. It's easy for you and I to say, I'll serve the Lord. It's easy for you and I to come to know the Lord and start the beginning of the Christian journey. But then the thing, the appeals, the things of this world, the neon lights of this world, the things that appeal of this world, the pleasures of this world, the pleasures of the flesh, other people, and the difficulties and the trials of the Christian life come along. And we go astray. And suddenly our dedication, suddenly what we've stated with our mouths that we will follow and serve the Lord. We forget about it. And the Israelites, they came to that point and place in their lives where they said, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, if you're going to serve him, no strange gods, no idols. None of those things in your life are going to pull you away from God. God will not allow it. The Israelites said, nay, but we will serve the Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Jesus said, it's not with what we say with our mouths that counts. We can say all we want. We can make all the declarations and proclamations about God all we want. Christ said, if you continue in my word, what speaks louder about our Christian life and our profession of faith and our Christian experience is not what we say with our mouths, friend, but the way we live our lives. Are you and I continuing in his word? Do you and I demonstrate and live a life that is in obedience to God's word? The world's not necessarily looking at what we say, although what we say is important. Some people have the view nowadays that let's just live the Christian life and live it. We don't need to say anything and people will just watch us. No, we are commanded by the word of God to share verbally and speak the truth, the message of the gospel, but it must be backed up by a life. Someone said, what you do, speak so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. And friends, we must not just, we must not just talk about the Christian life. You know, this world of ours, Forget, the, forget beyond these shores. Just think of this nation of ours. It is not looking at a new definition for Christianity. This nation of ours is not looking for a new definition of Christianity. It is looking for a new demonstration of Christianity. Are you and I demonstrating the faith? Are we walking the walk? Are we living as God would have us live? And it's often been said, and how true it is. You and I may be, may be the only Bible that people will ever read. They may never hold a Bible in their hands and read the scriptures. The only reflection of God that they may ever have, the only experience they, of God that they may ever see may be our lives, my friend. Thirdly, we see that service to the Lord is in a sense based on the past. 
Look, if you would, with me at verse 5. Service to the Lord is based on, a pa- on the past, in a sense. First, I want us to see that God had brought Israel out of Egypt. Look at verse 5 of Joshua 24. He says, I sent Moses also and Aaron, and plagued, I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out, and I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came unto the sea, that is the Red Sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt and you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. Service to the Lord is based on the past. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, what are we doing here today? We are commemorating and reflecting upon all those years that have gone by. And as we look, on the, look back on the past, we can see what? The faithfulness and the hand and the presence of God and the blessings of God. And we can see what the Lord has done. And Joshua was saying the very same thing to the Israelites. He was saying, remember, God brought you out of Egypt. The only thing that could have delivered the Israelites from Egypt. Do you know, I believe if the Romans... If it had been possible that the Roman Empire had existed at that time, I'm not sure that it could have delivered the the Israelites out of Egypt. Nor the Persians or the Babylonians or the Greeks or any other empire. Egypt, by the way, at that time was the most powerful nation on earth. It took the mighty hand of God through 10 supernatural acts known as the plagues to deliver Israel, Israel out of Egypt. And you you and I, you say, well, what relevance does this have to us in this day and age as we sit here in this church? My friend, God has brought you you and I out of this world. You and I out of this world. The scripture says, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Please understand, this world of ours is not the friend of God. It's not the friend of God. The society of ours in which we live hates God. I've mentioned this before, but I remember once watching a question time program where the matter of religion and the Bible and the Christian message was addressed. And the four panelists sat there, of course, thinking they're more intelligent than what they are. And one of the people in the audience put his hand up to address one of the panelists and said, don't you think it's time here in Britain, we've moved on, we've progressed. Don't you think it's time we just forgot about God, got rid of that idea? And the rest of the audience (laughs) applauded. This is not a country, this is not a nation anymore that wants the Lord. Now there are those that would represent a remnant in this nation, such as you and I that know the Lord, but society as a whole and this world as a whole hates the Lord. That's why it tells us in the book of James, he that is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The scripture says that Christ has chosen us out of this world and we are not to love this world. The Lord has delivered us and brought us out of this world and delivered us for his service. Secondly, Joshua reminded Israel that God had actually banished their enemies. He brought them out of Egypt, but secondly, he'd banished their enemies. Look at verse 8. He reminds them, he says, look, verse 8, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side, Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that you might possess the land 
their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, which, but not with, the, with thy sword, nor with thy bow. God had banished their enemies. And if you know Christ today, if you know him, you know there's a verse in, the, in, in the 1 John, in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that says the following. With regard to you and me, it says, you... Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You know, those within our nation that want to banish the Bible, that want to banish the Christian message, that want to banish the preaching of the gospel out on the street, that want to stop, that would like to stop the assembling of people together in churches such as this, that want nothing of the Christian message, in schools, my mother told me last week, interestingly, she's a teaching assistant. She's not far from retirement now. But every so often they have their meetings in the school where they'll consider this and consider that that relates to child protection policy, social services, and the whole thing. And she said that in this meeting, this woman who came in from social services said, you, she, she met with the teachers and she met with the teaching assistants and she said, there are certain things that you need to be aware of within the scope of child protection. And she mentioned different groups, different individuals and so forth and so on. And she said one group of people that she mentioned was homeschool schoolers, those who teach the children at home. That accounts for me. She says, we need to be aware of them. Why would they take the children out of school? What are they up to? Suspects. What happened to innocent until proven guilty? Are we a society of suspects or a society of citizens? But that's what we've come to now. But regardless of these things, regardless of the Dawkins of this world, who say that you and I are fools and ignorant and intellectually challenged, regardless of the politicians and the scientists and the commentators and the journalists and all the disparaging remarks that they make and all the aspersions that they cast upon us, regardless of those in this land that are our enemies, regardless of the devil himself who controls these people, friend, God banished Israel's enemies that were mightier than them, that were greater than them. God banished them and God has banished our enemies. If God be for us, indeed, who can be against us? And God had blessed Israel. Look at verse 13. He says, And I have given you a land, which was in Canaan, for which she did not labor, and cities which she built not. And you dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards, which you planted not. You do eat. You know, God has blessed you and I with his grace. I ask you sometime if you know Christ. If you know him, if you truly know him, get yourself a pen and some A4 paper. 
sit down. And down the margin, just write one, two, three, four, five. Just number it. And I want you to write down prayerfully, ask God to prompt your memory of all the blessings and the great things that God has done in your life, the smaller things and the great things. And I'm going to guarantee you something, my friend. You'll need more than one sheet of paper. You and I have forgotten more than we can remember when it comes to God's blessings in our lives. God has done so much for us. God has, if you know Christ today, God has saved your soul. God has made you one of his. He's made you his child, and nothing can ever change that. And you do not have to worry about Satan. You do not have to worry about those within our society who are enemies of the cross and enemies of the gospel. You do not have to worry about eternal hell, which is a real place. You do not have to worry about the judgment throne of God that all men must one day face. God has done so much for you. You know, I'll tell you something with regards to my life. If I had not come to know Christ when I did at 21, if I had not come to know, know him and had, had continued to be that man I was back then, my wife wouldn't have taken a second look at me. She wouldn't have associated or even bothered with such a one as me. And I want to tell you today that my wife, I can say this because she's not here. <laughs> she's out in the crash. I married above myself, friends, when I married her. I don't say that to placate yourselves, to appease any of you, or to try and ingratiate myself to you. But I truly believe that. And God has blessed me with three wonderful children. And I am so undeserving of what God has done. And God has done so many mighty things in the lives of the Israelites. How about you? How about you? It's easy to look back upon all the years. You and I can't remember 83 years. You weren't even here back then. But for the years that you have been in this church and for the years that you have known God, you will see without question the faithful hand of God. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when my wife and I had returned from Korea. We encountered visa issues. In 2012, the government changed the laws with regard to immigrants coming from non-EU countries. And I was faced with a, 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 a mountain. I was faced with an extremely difficult situation to the point that I ended up being on ITV Central News. Some of you may have seen me. I was in the local newspapers. We were, at such, we were so exasperated by the situation, I went to the media. In, in, in retrospect, I wish I hadn't have done because the Lord took care of it. My wife had come into the country with me. My children are all British citizens. They're actually dual, they have dual nationality, but my wife is still a Korean citizen. When we got into the country, the immigration officer nearly turned her away. But he was, he said to me, I, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'll give her six months. Now you need to sort this out. But after about three months, unbeknown to me, the UK border agency changed the law. And I found that suddenly, my wife would have to go back to Korea and apply for a visa that would be difficult to obtain and then coming back into the country, which meant taking our children back over to Korea because I was working. It was so impractical and unfeasible. And it was, it was heavy, greatly heavy upon my heart. And she had this visa and four days before it expired, I didn't know what to do. So I called up the immigration office and I said, look, my wife needs to go back to Korea according to your rules. I don't know what I'm going to do. 
I said, to be quite honest with you, she has to go back and reapply to come back here. We don't even have money for a flight. We're stuck. She said to me, there is actually another visa you can go for. Send it to us ASAP. Conversation was over. So I found this visa in the application, which consisted of 26 pages. It was a nightmare. <laughs> but we filled it out and submitted it. And it took the, UK, uh, it took the uh, immigration office eight months. And they replied and said, you don't qualify. You don't meet the requirements. However, and as soon as I saw the however, I was relieved when I saw that however. We cannot ch send you children out of this country because they're British citizens. So your wife can stay. And God blessed. God blessed mightily. Fourthly, finally, and quickly. We see, first of all, that service to the Lord is preconditional. It's exclusive. It's God or nothing. We see service to the Lord is to be proven and demonstrated by our lives. We see service to the Lord is based on the past. We can look back and reflect and see through the years his blessings, his faithfulness, his power. Service to the Lord, fourthly and finally, is not popular. Look with me at verse 15. Joshua said, and perhaps this is the key verse to the whole chapter, an often quoted phrase we see from this verse, and if it seem evil unto you, Joshua says, to serve the Lord, choose you whom you, this day you will serve. Joshua says, decision time. Whether the gods on the other side of, uh, sorry, whether the gods which his father served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This big, Joshua stating that, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know what he was saying there? Unpopular though it may be, in the minority though we may be, we're going to serve the Lord. He said, if the rest of you as a whole nation want to go after these pagan gods and follow these other nations, and all I'm left with is my family, just me and my family, so be it. We are going to serve the Lord. You see, Joshua had been around for a long time. And after many years of labor, he had probably seen many Israelites fall by the wayside. Hebrews 3.17 says the following, But with whom was he, that is God, grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that sinned, whose carcasses had fell in the wilderness? You see, the Israelites had been in Israel, uh, Egypt for 430 years. God brought them out by 10 miraculous plagues, supernatural acts, took them through the Red Sea. We remember the story of how God parted it. Took them through the wilderness where the shoes and the clothes never wore out and where he provided manna and quail and water and everything that they needed in the desert. Can you imagine two to three million people passing through a desert for 40 years? Yet there were those who still wouldn't believe God and honor him and trust him. Joshua was to pre prepare to go on regardless of people. And I want to ask you this day, as you consider this church anniversary and the time that has passed for this particular church and the time that has elapsed in your life for God, are you prepared to go on for the Lord, even if you're on your own, my friend, even if it's just you and your family? Joshua was, because he said, as for me and my house, he said, you, you make your decision. You make your choice. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Just remember when it comes to people and the fact that others may fall by the wayside 
and that others may say, you know what, I've had enough of this. And they find themselves being drawn to other things. Just remember this, my friend, when it comes to serving God in this life, when your life's over and you've breathed your last, and you stand before God, other people won't be there with you. It'd just be you and him. Serving the Lord is about you and him. It's about you and him glorifying him with your life. You know, I want to close this, this, this morning. Or should, I, should I say this afternoon? And I just want to quickly say, you and I are indeed walking a journey. You and I that know God. And the way ahead does seem risky and unsure. The voyage is often tough and doesn't seem to get any easier. For you and I that know God, it seems a constant uphill struggle. It's tempting just to turn back. For us to quit now, I'm afraid, would be to deny all the things that God has done in our lives. Do you realize that? For those people that know the Lord, and then one day say, enough, I go this way no further. They are in essence denying all that God has done in their lives. But finally, I want to quickly say this. Maybe you're here today. And in a sense, this message bears little relevance to your life. This journey of which I speak, you've never embarked upon. You may have been in church for many years. You may have heard sermons like this more than you can care to remember. You may have heard one preacher after another in a pulpit. Or maybe you're new to all of this. But whatever the case may be, the truth of it is that you don't know God. You say, well, how can I know for certain that I don't know God? Not that I do know God, but that I don't know God. I want to ask you today, if you were to die tonight, if your life was over, if you were to meet with an accident on the road, on foot or in a car, or you were to suffer an illness very soon, if you were to suddenly experience cancer that got the better of you, and your life was cut short very soon, my friend, do you have the assurance in your heart and the peace of knowing that you would die and go and be with the Lord? Do you have absolute assurance of that? That you can say, I know in my heart where I would go if I was to die today. And if you can't say with utmost assurance that I know where I'm going, I have that confidence in God according to his word, and you say, I don't know for sure. Or maybe you would sit here and say, no, I don't know where I go at all. I don't have any assurance of this. I want, to, I want to tell you that the word of God says that you are a sinner before God. Scripture says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the scripture also says in John chapter 3, verse 13, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Not only are you a sinner before God, but you stand condemned before God, which would mean that if you're to die today not knowing the Lord, you would spend eternity in a real place called hell. But my friend, that is not where the story ends. That is the very reason that Jesus Christ was crucified upon an old wooden cross for you. He suffered on that cross for you. He was crucified and shed his blood and gave his very life for you, for you. Forget the other people in this church today. Forget your family, forget your friends, forget your neighborhood. Just think of you. Christ died for you personally. He suffered, was crucified, and died upon a cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven and is presently at the right hand of God. 
in a literal body just like you and I are in right now. He was risen from the dead. And I want you to know, according to the Scriptures, that he is ready this day. You read that, those two words in that very passage that we've considered. This day. What about you this day? Will you receive him as your Savior? He commands you to repent of your sins, to turn from your sins, those very sins that put him on the cross, to repent of them and believe in what his son Jesus did in being crucified on that cross for you. Will you repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ this day and become one of his? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How about you this day? Are you serving him or have other things come into your life? Have other people come into your life? Have other places come into your life? You know, the best thing you can do as you consider this church anniversary service, a new and a fresh, make that decision that your life from here on will be God's. And that if you don't know him, come to know him in this place before you leave this building. Tomorrow never comes, my friend. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this morning, this day, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we just pray and we just ask, Father, that you, Lord, would speak to hearts. Lord, I do thank you for the time. I thank you for the patience of these people and their willingness to listen. And we just pray to your Father, that you would indeed deal with hearts this morning. We just ask, Father, that you would have your will, in the will and way in the lives of these people. Father, we thank you for your love. You're the very same God that blessed the Israelites, that banished their enemies, that brought them out of Egypt. You are the same God that's here today for us. Lord, I believe perhaps there are those here gathered that do not yet know you. They may have been to church many times than they can care to remember. I've heard more sermons than they can remember. But yet they still have not made that decision to give their lives to you. Oh, Lord, may you wrestle them this morning by your Spirit. And may they come to know you as Savior. And for those, Lord, that are here, that do know you, I pray, Lord, that they would make that choice in their hearts, echoing the words of Joshua, that they would say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Though I go it alone, though others forsake God, though it's unpopular, though the way can often be difficult, yet in God I have victory. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Bless this time, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.